Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Worthy for 30. I'm excited to introduce my next guest, uh, Melissa Hobley, who is the global CMO of OKCupid to the show. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Melissa, the premise of Worthy for 30 and why I started this podcast is to really talk with notable business leaders who are doing good and giving back while pursuing success knowing that these concepts aren't mutually exclusive. So before I get into you know, my line of questions, and we'd love to get your background on how your path to becoming the, the global CMO at OKCupid. Yeah. And first, I just love that that's what your podcast is about. I think there are a lot of podcasts about marketing and brands and business. And then separately, there are podcasts about less of them, but about people trying to to have positive societal change. And I love that you're mashing those two things up. I think it's really lacking in corporate America. I think brands need to step up for humanity, but also because it's good business to do that. So I love that you're doing it. My path to OkCupid was an interesting one. I have, Eric and I have an Indiana connection and there's a girl, AJ Nicholas, who is also from Indiana. She was a very early employee at Rent the Runway. She Mm -hmm. was there seven years. So she really helped build that to be a thriving billion dollar business. She had met the team at OkCupid. They had been looking for a CMO. I honestly, I said, I did not know OkCupid still existed. Who is using that? Tinder is like the behemoth in dating apps, but I really didn't think OkCupid was still around. And OkCupid had never had a marketing team or a CMO, which is why I didn't know their story. And a lot of people didn't. And the business reflected that OkCupid was certainly in a challenging moment in the brand's life and all the metrics that you think about. And But they had the origin story of OkCupid was really interesting. It was started by Harvard uh, grads who were math majors and who loved data and technology and had a really hard time dating because they were shy guys and and but we're like technology is helping us in every part of our life be it finding a car connecting with your cousin in Arkansas where you know like in, in all these areas of life and not helping people connect and so OkCupid is one of the OG dating apps it's almost 20 years old and had a really the roots of the product and what they wanted to do was really compelling and so I I got excited about joining the team to bring that to life but to also do interesting bold things and they had an appetite for that and and so it's been a really fun ride I've been here almost almost 5 years Oh my goodness. So a 20-year-old dating application needed a marketing team or needed leadership on, okay, how do we evolve? How do we not just keep up with the times, but how do we set our own path to distinguish ourselves from the other dating apps that are available? You come in with this agency and brand background on, again, what is the positioning? What is the strategy? Who who are we trying to, to meet as a target? And one of the things as I was preparing for our conversation that I saw is that OKCubit is for anyone and everyone. It's very similar to when I was talking to Craig at Hello Products. His whole premise for Hello Products is we're we're making oral care products for the 100%, not the 1%. And that's what I, I've, I've taken away from looking at some of the, the campaigns and some of the communication that OKCupid has put out is we're you know positioning ourselves for, for that, for anyone, anyone who's looking for a match, anyone who's looking for love or connection, come to us. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah. 
That is an accurate deception, an accurate assessment. And I need a little more coffee this morning, Eric. And <laughs> but I take it even further. And by the way, I know I've known Craig Dubitsky for a long time. I that was a great interview you did with him. I the a lot of apps will say that. The reality is the actual experience on apps, if you are anything other than cisgender, hetero, if you're, if you're anything other than a straight guy or straight girl looking for another another straight guy or straight girl, it's pretty shitty and it's not welcoming and the engineering is not there and the algorithm is not there and the community is not there. And <clears throat> OkCupid has a long history of always having a, a, a good experience for LGBTQ when you know, it was famous that eHarmony was public about not wanting gay daters on their platform and other apps fall really short on that experience. And so we wanted, there are two big things that set OkCupid apart from the other apps. Cause if I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, oh, the apps are like pretty similar. And, and there's a lot of things that are really similar. And so I actually don't argue with that, but here's the two things that make OkCupid different. One is this experience that has research and engineering and re-architecture behind an experience that supports all kinds of daters, whether you're non-binary, you're trans, you're straight, you're gay, you're ethically non-monogamous, you're tall, you're short, you're religious, you're agnostic, you love travel, you hate travel, all of those things. And then secondly, um, the other apps, one of the insight that made us really lean into this is people say dating is tough. And of course it is. I've, I was single in New York City for 13 years. I get it. Dating is tough and apps feel shallow and they feel like an experience driven so much by appearance. And again, I, I can't even debate that. I think a lot of that is true. The what OkCupid does that other apps don't do is we match you on the social and political issues that you care about. It's completely optional. So you don't have to do that. We don't, we allow you to date. You may be really passionate though about climate change. And imagine, mm -hmm. I grew up in Indiana, as I may have mentioned, there are a lot of people <laughs> in Indiana that don't think climate change is real. And imagine if you really believe in that, and let's say you're really engaged, let's say you're taking steps towards sustainability, let's say you're trying to limit the plastic in your house, let's say you're, you're writing to your elected officials, you want to know their stance on fossil fuels and these other issues, you are absolutely not compatible with someone that does not believe that climate change is real or that just never recycles and doesn't have a really engaged attitude on that issue. And when you match people on issues and passions that they care about, you change the atmosphere, you connect people on the substance of who they are, and it actually does do a really good job of helping you find connections and love and meaningful relationships. Wow. So it's a, a lot of these, these, these factors, these beliefs, these core beliefs, these core values, in addition to whom you're looking for and whom, whom you're looking to pair to make that right match. And again, it's not compulsory. You're not saying, okay, when you create an OkCupid uh, profile, you need to include these attributes or values or beliefs about yourself. But again, it, it provides a more, a more comprehensive profile of who wants to be matched to whom that goes again beyond what you once you are matched not that the physical appearance but what's really behind that person and makes that person tick uh, and what's really important to them which is great shifting Thank gears you. a little bit yeah. when it comes yeah. to go ahead no, go uh, ahead. i was just going to say so so sh just shifting gears a little bit in terms of in terms of beliefs and and passion points are there specific passion personal passion points that Sure, you want to infuse into the marketing, but it's sometimes you may need to remove yourself a little bit 
in order to ensure that what is being put out into the marketplace is right for the brand? Not really. Um, and the reason why I say that is because certainly there are areas that I'm really passionate about, but I have at my fingertips really rich data to know before I even go down that road, is this an issue that our daters care about? Is this an issue that that single people care about? Mm-hmm. And, and I can do that around the world. So we have really flexed our a muscle of saying, okay, climate change, again, using that example, we looked at, are people self-writing this in on the profile? So if you set up, a, if you're on a dating app, you know, what you do on many dating apps, is tell us a little about yourself. And what we found, mm-hmm. and this really started accelerating a few years ago, was people were self-writing in, if you don't believe in climate change, swipe left. I'm really passionate about sustainability. If this is, scares you, please don't reach out. So people were self-writing. That. And then we can also look at, we turn these into filters. So we can look at who's opting in, who's opting out. And further, we ask you, how important is this to you? And we give you three options. So we can look at, wow, climate change is a great example that's become, it's become a top three deal breaker around the world from Delhi to Detroit, to Berlin, to Melbourne, to Jakarta. It's really interesting. So I never, I, I don't have to worry about that too much because the minute I start to think about, hey, racial equality, how are, is this an issue that people want to know about before they even start a conversation or a thread. And we immediately could see, yes, they do. They want to, when Black Lives Matter is becoming a movement I and mean, not just a mm-hmm. moment, those conversations were happening and people wanted to know. And it's pretty great to have an algorithm that captures these. It really gives you an idea of the temperature check on the zeitgeist and on, but also how that, that trickles down. And by the way, it's just such an awesome trend too, right? Because dating apps have not always done that. Mm -hmm. And I think people do feel, especially women felt, oh my gosh, I have to be a certain thing to have success on dating apps. And guys felt like I have to be tall. I have to be this. I have to have a, a certain job. And, and again, when you encourage people to talk about what moves them, you change that dynamic. And so that that has made it pretty easy to say, hey, this is an issue I care about. Let me, before I get excited about that, let me think about, is this something our daters care about? Where is it showing up in the experience and the product? And that gives us a really good idea of where to go with it. And by the way, we're not in the business of selling data. We don't do that. Advertising is a very tiny portion of mm-hmm. our business as it is for most dating apps now. So we don't, we're, we're not in the Facebook, Google business of, of taking that data to, to sell in ads. We don't, we, I, I don't even think about advertising as part of my job, which mm-hmm. I'm really uh, lucky to do. So just putting that disclaimer out. Anyone who's listening to this, again, if you go on OkCupid and you set up a profile, advertising or being interrupted with advertising or advertisements uh, should be low on your list, which is great. It's all about the consumer experience. It's all about finding that right match based on, again, a a lot of different factors and attributes that, again, are very important to both both people within who are looking to to be matched. In terms of recently, you were named by Forbes um, as one of the top CMO of top entrepreneurial CMOs. And I, I saw some other accolades from Forbes, from AdAge. What sort of, and I know that they're incredible accolades, but there also there's also a large, I would say, weight or or maybe perhaps a response. Do you feel there's a responsibility of setting an example for other CMOs, and more importantly, besides, of course, meeting your brand or company objectives, what other sort of intangibles or beliefs or values or other attributes are 
important, again, having these these accolades or being recognized by your peers to, again, to set the example for future CMOs? I really love that question because I think that is the best thing about them. Words, they feel nice. And listen, I'm a girl from Muncie, Indiana. I, I never expected that I'd be in a position where I was getting honored by Forbes. It does feel good. It's, it's It feels great. And last night, Forbes had an event in New York City for these CMOs, and they asked me to be on a stage with Dara, who's the CMO at Peloton, and, and Chris, who's the CMO at New Balance, and one of the editors of Forbes. And so it does feel great. And I do think, listen, OkCupid is not a big enough brand in terms of revenue to just have a spot on that list. But And I think why they, well, not I think, I know partly why they've recognized me is because I am taking a stance with OkCupid on social and political issues that we think matter. Uh, And so I think that gives permission for other leaders who might be a little bit scared to do that. I think it draws attention to the fact that you can build a business and, and try to have positive change and both of those things can work together and how do we get more brands and companies to do that and by the way it What's has that? been amazing for business for OK Cupid I think it's the right thing to do and the leadership at OK Cupid uh, and our parent company match group does but I also oh are you there Excellent. So we were were talking about setting the example for other CMOs within this context of being recognized by your peers through AdAge and Forbes. Yeah. So, you know, it's so, it's so, it feels so great to get awards and to be recognized and, oh, marketers love to give awards. What's awesome is I think I'm being recognized, um, OkCube is being recognized for taking a stand on issues for not being quiet or frankly, not being bland or saying nothing with an Instagram Mm -hmm. post that acknowledges uh, something that's wrong. And I think what's great about that, to your point, Eric, is it encourages other people to be louder about things that are going on. It gives permission if you're a brand that's wanted to do this. And maybe you see, wow, this is how I can raise my profile. I never in a million years thought that incorporating social and political issues into the experience at OkCupid would help bring such a big comeback for the brand in terms of all those business KPIs you look at, but also that it would raise my profile. I never, I never, I never imagined that. I think as I have more and more conversations and I was with, again, at this Forbes event just last night in New York City with CMOs from some of the biggest and most popular brands in the world, it is it is still a new field and a new muscle that people are doing of saying, okay, we're going to address this issue in our social media, or we're going to partner with a nonprofit on this issue, or we're going to talk to our DEI lead to to understand what to do here. And, and so, and I hope it just continues and it keeps growing. And that's the hope. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. With regards to with regards to that, again, perhaps shifting the conversation for other companies on how to do better or to to give back and and to do good, and again, perhaps have a, make a more concerted effort. Is it? Do you think, based on the, again the example that you've set for OkCupid, 
and those companies or those brands seeing what you've done to really make an authentic push on on integrating very important issues that are very important issues for your consumer base into your brand communication and every it sounds like every facet of how OKCupid operates. Do you think again that that response is okay, let's just check the box and let's talk to our DEI or let's check the box and, and start thinking about CSR as, a, as an annual objective? Or do you think there's authenticity or again, a more conservative, pervasive effort throughout these organizations seeing examples that you and other brands have made? It's a good question. I think I think a couple of things are going on, and this is again from having conversations with with CMOs at brands that I that I know and love, and and some maybe I don't, but I admire, respect the CMOs. I think it's a new world. They are trying to navigate that. We are in an interesting time with the economy. We are in an interesting time in this not yet fully post COVID world, but hopefully moving towards that. And when things are in turmoil, people become risk averse. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so they have in some ways pulled away from issues that are out there right now, for example, gender equality is at stake in this country with reproductive freedom and reproductive rights. We are very loud in this issue and corporate America is incredibly fucking silent and Part of what's driving that is, hey, I'm coming out of a rough two years in COVID. Hey, I've got supply chain issues. I've got angry customers. I'm really nervous to do something that's going to possibly anger a portion of our existing users. So I think it's a, I don't think it's an easy time necessarily to take a stand, but I would say I think it's a really important time to do that. We companies have the opportunity, and this is what you address in your podcast, companies have the opportunity to to have a point of view and to encourage people to talk about it. And one of the things we've done a lot with is is even just getting people to vote. Mm -hmm. You can vote however you want to, but not being a voter became a really big turnoff in 2016. And it's only grown with local and and national elections on OkCupid. And I think encouraging people to, and and young people still are not voting in the way that they should. You're aware of of that data. So I think there's a real opportunity to, to encourage behavior that we know will help lead to change, encourage people to use their voices and their platforms to to bring about change. And every single week, there's a study about how Gen Z over-indexes on how a brand stands, who they're donating money to. They over-index on what does this brand do for LGBTQ equality? What is their the diversity of the employees at that company look like? What does the leadership look like? They're doing this. Mm-hmm. And in, in this digital area, that's all, that information is immediately available. And so uh, it's it's imperative to, I think, for the health of your business to 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 take a stand on these issues. This is not decades ago where corporations were these blank entities. That's just not the way the world works. And I think the companies that don't really give this the right thought are going to be in, in dangerous and, and difficult situations. Yeah, I, I definitely yes. I, I think there's a, there are a lot of what you can see on the face of some competing priorities. To your point, we're coming out of pandemic, with supply chain issues, inflation, a lot of these external factors. At the same time, there's a lot of social upheaval, a lot of discussion, a lot of discourse, a lot of 
a lot of topics, hot button topics that are you know, impacting at the micro level, on the ground level, what, what are my kids going to learn in school? You mentioned the yeah. gender equality, racial equality. Some of these, again, are very hot button issues that need to be talked about, not just at the macro, like politicians and other, and of course, business leaders, but also there needs to be a focus on the ground in terms of how individual individuals and families are being impacted. And of course, looking towards corporate America to help shepherd some of this conversation discussion to, for it to be more, let's say, freely discussed or widely discussed because voting, we're very fortunate to live in, in states like New York and New Jersey, where it is incredibly easy for someone to read, not only register, but for someone to vote. Like I remember yeah. in 2020, 2020, I just dropped my 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 paper ballot in a very clearly marked box for pickup, not the USPS box, but a local Essex County, New Jersey box for for collection. There are other states that, that it's not so easy for people to register and for people to access the ballot box. And there I had Earlier on, Bradley Tusk, who was Mike Bloomberg's campaign manager, and one of the initiatives that he's working on is how do we allow every American who's a legal age to vote from their mobile device, which I think is incre- it's, it's, it's incredible to think. Like, how do we get all voting age folks to be to have the, the ease of use to open up their mobile device and, and vote? So I think those are, you know, all, all these issues are incredibly important. And it's, and it's important to look towards companies and organizations to talk about these issues, again, as objectively to, to show what's at stake for people to lean in and to, to listen and to to understand that we're talking about this at the dinner table. And we also, when we when it comes to patronizing certain brands and companies, we want to make sure or at least check to see n- not where they stand, but are, are they also talking about these issues that are important to us? That's, That's uh, totally, Those are some yeah. really great points. I think you're totally right. And, and, and we have, it's never been easier to have conversations about what all of our different experiences are. I had, uh, many of my bosses have been men. Most of their wives did not work. I never had, I never felt comfortable when I became a mom in corporate America. I felt so nervous and so uneasy saying, Hey, I need to Go to, I have a doctor's appointment or my kid's sick. I would be so stressed and anxious with that because I never had a working mom who said, hey, I'll be working from home today. I don't have childcare. I never saw that. Taking that to a much more serious point, I, I think, I listen, I see these people that I grew up with in Indiana. They're kind people. And they say, Americans are all created equally. I don't understand why. And there's a problem in, even in that statement. I don't understand all these like, racial discussions, people aren't racist. And then you, when you say to them, have you had a conversation with a black American or a black resident in this country? Have you had a conversation about what their experiences are? A real conversation. And the answer is mm-hmm. almost always, well, no, but I know that I, I look at everybody as equal. <laughs> and you're already not doing that by not asking someone, what is your, what is that experience actually like? What is a very dear friend of mine, to give one quick example, recently went to her local Capital One Bank in Long Island, New York, 
to open up a business account. She's been banking with Capital One for over 10 years and was opening a business account, like super straightforward. Now, when I walk into a bank, I feel like I think they trip over themselves. Do you need a credit card, a checking account, a treat for your dog, a lollipop for your kid, a coffee, a water, (laughs) right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this friend of mine who's African-American in her mid-40s was turned away four times, four times she was turned away. With disdain and with an attitude and not with a, I am so sorry, we're so busy. I'm really apologetic. Is there any chance you could come back? It was not that. It was, you need an appointment. Why? Okay, she made an appointment. But you don't have the paperwork. This isn't the right paperwork. And then there's one example of many that just one friend has had. And you just don't have any excuses anymore. You don't have excuses anymore. If you're going to take a point of view on something, you better be educated on that. You better be talking to people. You better be learning. And then come talk to me. It's. I think it's, it's sad that we have people that want to stay committed to things that they, they actually have never taken the time to, to understand on a deeper level. It's a very interesting perspective. It's one thing from just so I'm hearing you correctly. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to act upon it. So they need to, if you're going to talk to talk, you need to walk the walk. That, you do. And that yeah, that's right. And and then just have some courage, right? For those of us on the corporate side, have some courage to to explore these issues, to explore these topics, and then to understand, okay, what do we do here? How do we support our employees? How do we, do, mm-hmm. we, do we make changes on another level? Do we, how are we supporting customers? What are the policies that we have that are promoting those issues that we care about? Oh, 100%, 100%. Now, in terms of, in terms of looking at other brands, let's shift a little bit. So looking at other brands, it doesn't have to be in the dating space, but looking at some other brands, what are some brands from your perspective that are doing some pretty incredible things in terms of how they're reaching their consumer in a more, I don't know, just keeping the spirit of, of this podcast in more altruistic, not thinking, okay, we have to return shareholder value, but we also have right. to make a, a concerted effort or a, 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 a concerted effort to make an impact on our community. Are there any uh, brands that stand out to you? Yeah, totally. I love Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's, I think have done a really good job at this. Uh, And Ben and Jerry's has long had a public point of view on issues, particularly around racial and social equality. And when Black Lives Matter was becoming a movement, they didn't do a lame Instagram post, we care and everyone should be equal. They they were sharp and they were provocative and they were informed. And so I think they've done a great job there. There's a brand Artsy, which is uh, one of the new digital players in the art space. The CMO there, Everett Taylor, um, is working to democratizing art, right? Art is not something that most of us grew up talking about. It was really something for a very small, wealthy, elite, frankly, very white world. Everett is a a Black American who is just changing the game. And I think keep an eye on him and on that company because I think it's, it's you know, wildly interesting. I, I also love EOS. EOS, is, you would probably know from the lip balms that are shaped like little eggs. And EOS is doing great stuff. They 
there was a TikTok, a TikToker who had a video that went viral. Bless my fucking cooch was like her video. I hope I can cuss on your podcast because it's a little bit late if I can't, Eric. And, sure. uh, and, and, and Eos, lo- I know you could chuckle that's hysterical. Eos loved it so much. They reached out to her. They came out with a product that said, bless my fucking cooch. And it went absolutely viral. I think they had billions of views. They collaborated with this partner. I think, and EOS has taken a real stand on reproductive rights. They've taken a stand on racial equality. And that authentic response to issues is also keeping them on the forefront of what's happening and how people are thinking about things. And you feel that in the spirit of the brand and the spirit of the product. And, and it really translates. So I, I also, and so Young Kang, the CMO there, who's a become a friend. She and I were honored on a Forbes list a couple years ago and became friendly. She has a point of view and she, again, is unapologetic and, but informed about, about what's going on in the world and how they can take a stand and use that platform to, to educate people. And so that's another brand I love and a good one to watch. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So just to wrap up our conversation, We'd we'll love to you know, get your take to the person who's listening to us talk, who has aspirations for joining the C-suite. What would you tell them? What advice would you tell them or give them? Ooh, yeah. Great question. I would, everybody talks about mentorship, but I would, uh, who are the people in your orbit that can help you get to that place? whether it's in your industry or managers, uh, find those people and say, okay, I'm committed to, I want to get to the C-suite or I want to keep growing in my career. I, I, can I pick your brain every now and again about how to get there? And it doesn't have to be in person. Make it Zoom. Keep it really easy. And whether that's hey, tell me what you think I'm strong at. What do you think I need to work on? What are my communication skills at work? Where, how do I need to enhance those? And be really open to that feedback, especially the stuff you need to develop and work on. Maybe you're, are you aware of, if you feel like you should be there, are you aware of why you're not? So I think mentors and managers mm-hmm. can be really great with that. I would look at at people that you admire or you say, wow, they sound interesting and I like their job. How did they get there? Explore that journey and that path. For me, it was relationships. I don't think I had the profile on paper that I didn't have the profile on paper that was making me get calls for CMO jobs, but I had a friend who knew me and knew that I was looking for a new challenge who connected me to the CEO at OkCupid at the time. I dissect the careers of people that you think are interesting and figure out how they got there. And and then the third thing I do is what I just mentioned is tell people, tell people you want to keep growing and looking. If you're looking for a new challenge, you're looking for a new job, if you don't like Mm -hmm. your company, tell people that. I enjoy connecting people for opportunities and giving feedback so much that I probably do it too much. If I get a text or an email or a DM from someone Mm -hmm. that I know that says I'm looking, I'm like, okay, call me at three o'clock. Let's talk. Who, you know, and I want to know what you want to do, send me your resume and let me like blow up my network. So I, I love doing that. And, but you do, you got to tell people I, I was in PR, so I'm, I over index on asking people for stuff. It's what I did for so long. I'm shameless. That also right. comes from, that comes from also being from Muncie, Indiana. And I didn't have connections or resources or family or money or any of that. So I felt like I had to 
out hustle everyone else. When I came to New York City as an 18 year old and then started working at the age of 21 in a really Mm -hmm. high profile connection driven world of media and PR and marketing and brands. So I, I felt like I just had to be hungrier than other people. And, but that helped me get where I am. Yeah, 100%. And I love the Hoosier, the Indiana connection. Of course, as I showed Melissa my hat, I'm unapologetically a Hoosier alum. So that's great to hear and and relationships. And it's funny, relationships got us connected. We have Jeff Ragavan to thank for connecting us. And Jeff, when I worked for Jeff at Buddy Media, we were talking about Buddy Media. He spotted something in me. He was like, hey, Eric, you're very good at X. So how do you, how can you focus? How can you enhance and then some of the things that I needed to work on, I worked on in, in concert. And then also some of this self-awareness that's, that's been a big topic, especially in the marketing, the marketing brand management world is how do you develop that self-awareness quotient where you're able to figure out how to interact with people? You mentioned relationships. I think relationships is a lot about giving without expecting anything in return. I also think it has to do with that self-awareness, like in terms of how does that person want to be communicated to, or how do you, how does that person want to engage with you and how and when, and there are a lot of different components to building those relationships and not same, same with dating and, and marriage. Each has its own unique composition, yeah. which I think you've hit on during this conversation, which is tremendous. Yeah. And that's great. You, you saw that opportunity with Jeff and you were open to that feedback. And I'm sure that helped you keep progressing in your career and have success at Buddy Media. Yeah. I, identifying people that you can learn from and, and going to them and, and, and asking for that is, is a powerful thing. And I, most of us don't do it enough, but it's especially mm-hmm. important when you're earlier in your career and you're trying to grow, imagine if you had, if I had learned more about strengths I had and things I need to work on at a younger age, I I probably would have accelerated faster. Accelerating means different things to different people, right? Like I'm actively Mm -hmm. turning down jobs that would pay me way more money because I want to be at a brand where I, that I believe in, that lets me do interesting work that I think is going to have a positive impact. And I, that, those are hard to find. They're hard to find. But by the way, if, if your listeners want advice, feel they, they can absolutely um, hit me up on, on Twitter or, or my email. And I'm happy to, to shed light, especially if you're someone at a company and you would like for them to take more of a, to be leaning in or take stances on, on issues that we're facing mm-hmm. and you want advice on how to do that, I'll make the time for you. So please hit me up. It's melissa at okcupid.com. It's really easy to remember. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And and what I'll do as I post our episode to social media is include that call out, a call to action, more or less, to connect with you. This has been great, a great conversation, Melissa. I really appreciate your time, the wisdom, the, the perspective. And if there's any way that that I, as well as this community that I'm building, can help you as you continue in your role, let us know. Hey, thank you so much, Eric. I really enjoyed this chat and, and really appreciate the connection and the offers to help. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.